We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show. My name is Andrew Claudio, a.k.a. GMAC, and it's time to preview the Knicks' upcoming matchup on Monday night against the Minnesota Timberwolves. They wrap up this five-game road trip in the Twin Cities. Joining me in just a little bit will be Chris Hind. He covers the Timberwolves for the Minneapolis Star Tribune. A really good conversation, broke down this really good start to the season for the Timberwolves, and a Pre-game pod first, and maybe a Knicks film school first. Uh, he joined me on a very special day of his, uh, or in his life, I should say. More on that in just a second. When we get to the interview, you'll you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Some Knicks-Timberwolves connections. The most obvious one. The most recent job that Tom Thibodeau had before he was with the Knicks. I guess coaching job, I should say, because I know he, I guess he worked for ESPN for a hot minute, and that's where that gift comes from. Um, he was the president of basketball operations and the head coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves. So uh, thankfully, he doesn't do both of those jobs anymore and just does one, one of which I, I think he's good at. And uh, I think he, it, how long it took for him to pull the Kemba plug or pull the Alfred Payton plug or pull the Derrick Rose and uh, uh, Evan Fournier plug last year. Um speaks to why he wasn't so successful in his other job and evaluating talent, but uh, he's done a great job so far this year. Uh, I know that's like venom to hear for some people, but it's my opinion. Thank you for listening. Um, the other connections, there's this weird one that I think we got the short end to stick on. Uh, Wally Zerbiak drafted by the Timberwolves is, I guess, returning to the Twin Cities uh, on Monday night. Uh, now Nick's color commentator, Wally Zerbiak. Um, Good for you, Wally. I hope you enjoy going back to Minnesota on, on Monday night. Um, there's some players that have played for both teams in the last couple years. Derek Rose, Taj Gibson, all the Tibbs disciples. The biggest connection for me as a young Knicks fan, I had two favorite basketball players that played for the Knicks. Or at least fa- two favorite Knicks when I first got into them. They're very obvious ones. It was Alan Houston and Latrell Sprewell. I'll never forget the day that... I guess it was WFAN or some type of radio I was listening to. It might have even just been SportsCenter that I saw the trade flash up that the Knicks have traded Latrell Sprewell to the Timberwolves for Keith Van Horn. Or at least that's who they got back in the deal was Keith Van Horn. And I remember being like, we got the former Nets guy to come play for the Knicks? That that stinks. We lost Spree for this? And... 
you know, uh, Spree's first game back at the Garden, the the Timberwolves win, and he's, you know, cussing out Dolan in front of his kids on courtside, and I couldn't help but be on Spree's side of this, and it was like the first experience that I understood what it's like to not root against your team, but side against your team. And uh, yeah, that's always going to be one of the first memories of of understanding how incompetent the Knicks were. And little did I know that was one of the beginning moments of uh, two decades of almost all incompetence, except for obviously the Mellow era. And where we find ourselves now with a very good basketball team going up against a Timberwolves team that is also very good, though. The Timberwolves are third in defensive rating and 14th in offensive rating. I will say they're, they play a lot of low scoring games and they're really good with Carl Anthony Towns on the floor. Um, they, strangely enough, they're even better with him off, uh, defensively, I should say. It's weird. When you go through their lineup data, the Timberwolves, like, their defense is outstanding whenever Rudy Gobert is on the floor. Um, their offense is outstanding whenever Carl Anthony Towns is on the floor. When, um, Gobert and McDaniels and Towns are, oh, excuse me, Rudy Gobert, Jaden McDaniels, and Anthony Edwards are on, and Carl Anthony Towns is off. Basically, when they put Nas Reed at the four, it's like this unreal number. You know, I'll let it comes up during the pod that, uh, that I, the conversation I have with Chris, like going through their lineup data, it's just like a very confusing thing. Like they have some small sample size lineups. Their overall starting five is a overall positive for the season. Um, they play a lot of low scoring games though. So I'm curious how this Knicks team that is starting to hit its groove and has a lot of good basketball players, um, and how they match up against this team. I don't think, I think this will be a close game down the stretch. I think it'll be a low scoring game for two for 2023 standards, uh, late in the fourth quarter. And I'm hoping the Knicks come out with another victory. I think it's absolutely a game. The Knicks can win too. watching the, the game the other night that the the Timberwolves played against the Pelicans. That was there for the taking, but the Pelicans, I, I just had the Knicks lose to this team. I remember they were playing a weird back-to-back and missed every three, but even the Pelicans only scored like 96 points that night. So let's get to my conversation on a very special day in his life with Chris Hine of the Minneapolis Star-Ledger previewing the Knicks matchup on Monday night against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Enjoy! I am honored for Nick's Film School first, because not only do I welcome Chris Hine from the Minneapolis Star Tribune, not only do I thank him for joining me on a late Sunday night after he traveled back from New Orleans, but happy birthday, Chris Hine, who joins me on his I would, birthday. I can't think of anything else I'd rather be doing right now at this moment than, than being on the podcast with you. Andrew. Exactly. The the number one thing when you blow your candles earlier today is I hope I get to talk about the Knicks and the Timberwolves right. before That's I go right. to bed tonight on a podcast. Correct. Well, and Here we are. Dream, I, dream come true. Exactly. I, I truly do thank you for making the time for me, and I will make this as quick as possible while I know you <laughs> want to get back to your birthday but i do want to talk about the timberwolves team because while Mm -hmm. some people may have been optimistic about this season and some people may have wanted to see what the full season's worth of sample size with towns and gobert together looked like man the the start that they've gotten off to i don't think you could be any better i could have predicted any better or even wanted any better as somebody who's around the team going into this season did they have a similar expectation for what we've seen so far? It's always hard to, to tell kind of what the internal expectations are for a team. 
I do think they knew coming into this season that they could be very good to elite defensively and that that could maybe take them far this Mm. year. You just kind of look around their roster and the way that they're able to defend, you know, they were number one in defensive rating. Uh, The last two games they slipped a little bit. They're down to three now. Um, But they knew that they had this kind of foundation of defense that they could rely on. And when you have that, you know, you can, you're in pretty much any game, uh, even if you're struggling offensively. So we saw that a little bit earlier in the season and some of these wins where the offense wasn't really clicking for them. Um, Anthony Edwards might have an off night. Carl Anthony Towns took a little while to get going. Um, and so, but while that was happening, they were still winning games um, because of this strong defense that they had had been playing. Rudy Gobert looks great. Uh, he looks like, you know, the guy that was winning defensive player of the year trophies a few years ago. Jaden McDaniels has emerged as one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. Uh, Anthony Edwards is a very good on-ball defender as well. Uh, Mike Conley, uh, even at 36 years old, is still doing it out there. He was chasing around, you know, Clay Thompson the other night in Golden State, and he'll guard, you know, another team's one or two. And yeah, and then you got Rudy at the rim and it's, it's a formidable, formidable uh, combination. I don't know if they knew that they would go, you know, nine and three to start, but I think they had high expectations that they could at least exceed what they did last year. So I promise we didn't plan this folks. Mm -hmm. The first three players I want to talk about, you just mentioned it, Rudy Gobert, (laughs) Jaden McDaniels and Mike Conley. We'll take them in order with Mm -hmm. Gobert and Mm -hmm. digging through some of the lineup data on cleaning the glass. They it's somewhat misleading because his on off is in the negative and it's not what you would think it would be for a team that has Rudy Gobert and has yeah. a top three defensive rating. And I think what what is misleading is at least from the data uh data scouting perspective, right? Where I'm just mm-hmm. looking at a website, is that he's like the defensive rating is still there, but they're a better offensive team when Nas Reed is in the game. But if you could speak to someone who's seen every possession of the Timberwolves this year, you know. What is he adding on the defensive end that when they go into these offensive struggles that they're still able to keep that baseline? So I think the biggest thing that he has done this year is get out to the perimeter. Mm. And I think that's been so critical for them. He, He said at the beginning of the season that he was in the best shape that he's been, you know, if ever in his career. Uh, coming into this year. And I think when you watch them play on Monday night, I think you'll probably, if you haven't watched the Timberwolves closely at all this season, you're going to be surprised by how often Rudy is getting out to the perimeter. He's not just parking at the rim and standing, waiting for drivers to come to the rim and just putting his hands up. He is very active. So is Carl Anthony Towns. So is Nas Reed. And that the ability of their big men, Rudy included, to get out, guard the perimeter a little bit, contest shots out there has been, has been huge. It's really what's been able to take a step up uh, on the defensive end this season. There was a play, one play that kind of encapsulates this, uh, one of their wins against Golden State last week, uh, late in the game, close game, Chris Paul is driving into the lane and it looks like he's going to uh, try and, you know, pull up from about, 14 feet the way Chris Paul normally does that little mid range jumper that he's famous for Mm. Rudy kind of jumps out at him and tries to contest it, but he also kind of stays back a little bit. And when Chris Paul passes to the corner to Dario Saric, it seems like Dario Saric has an open corner three Rudy got out there and blocked the shot. 
And that was like with a minute left in the game, a huge play in that game that enabled them to win. Um, they come down, I think, I think they went ahead on the next possession or something like that. And they won that game in part because Rudy made this phenomenal defensive play that I don't think anybody saw coming that, that if you watch Rudy Gobert last season, you would not see that coming because he wasn't a hundred percent healthy, especially at this time of the season. So to me, that has been the, and he, he has this rap of like, oh yeah, in the playoffs, you can play Rudy off the floor. You know, that, that whole, that whole reputation that he had in Utah, I'll be really interested to see if that actually holds true this season because he's playing phenomenally all over the floor right now. It's so funny you bring up the playoff narrative about him because so the other night when the Knicks were playing the Hornets, well, blowing out the Hornets, I should say, Mm -hmm. um, I was off that night from production, but obviously I still need to watch. So I had the Knicks on the big screen Mm -hmm. and then I had the Timberwolves and the Pelicans on the iPad. And I was noticing somewhat similar to what you're you're referring to, that when McDaniels is guarding Ingram on the wing, that Rudy is the second line of defense, but it's starting at the nail. It's not starting like at the restricted area. He's coming out so much further. So it not it doesn't just stop the drive. It deters the drive. And that will be something that he would be able to contribute more so in the playoffs. I also argue like no disrespect to Donovan Mitchell and to his now teammate Mike Conley, but he has better lines of defense ahead of him in Jaden McDaniels and Anthony Edwards. A hundred percent. And I think that, you know, that's the, that's part of the difference too, right? Is Rudy has better defenders in front of him on this Minnesota team than he did in Utah. And that makes a world of difference for how the team is going to guard the perimeter and how they're going to rotate behind Rudy or in and around him. Um, you know, they, they have this kind of fly around kind of mentality that they adopted before Rudy got here. Kind of, they used to, they used to play kind of a high wall coverage two seasons ago with Carl at the five. Mm. Uh, when Rudy got here last year, they, you know, when Rudy was on the floor, they, they were more drop coverage because that's what Rudy has excelled in, you know, for his career. Now they're trying to find, and it's been working so far, trying to find like a kind of a happy medium of like what they did two years ago because they're so athletic. And they have uh, all this athleticism with McDaniels, with Edwards, um, and even with Carl to a certain extent. Um, and what Rudy and mixing that with what Rudy does well. And so they're, they're not playing just like a straight drop coverage. Um, they're very active uh, on the defensive end. It is not just kind of a conservative, let's just funnel everything to Rudy at the rim kind of defense. So, I want to stick with the defense for one more question Mm -hmm. and loop Carl Anthony Towns in on this. And while like the defensive rating with him on the floor isn't bad, it's still, you know, especially when he's playing next to Gobert, it's, it's, it's elite, but Mm -hmm. it's, they're, they're just a better defensive team. Like one of the, one of the better teams in the last decade defensively when he's off the floor. Now, Another thing I noticed the other night <laughs> is how good he is offensively when he has it going. <laughs> yes, and yes. Um, even like some of the connecting passes that he was making where it's not necessarily that he's making shots, but he's recognizing there's a better shot like on the, in the corner. And like he hit a connecting pass to uh, Anthony Edwards for a big three in the final minute against the Pelicans yep. Uh, yep. on Saturday. And um, I, look, I... Do you think this could work? Do you think from from your unbiased perspective for now, or maybe biased perspective for now, <laughs> right. like can the Gobert um, Towns 
can that work? Can that combo work long term in a playoffs? And I guess when I say work, do I more I more necessarily mean like what does success look like this season? What will it mean? Like, oh, it worked at the end of the right. season. I mean, I think I think winning a playoff series would be a huge step as a franchise here in Minnesota. They haven't won a playoff series in 20 years. So winning a playoff series would be a huge, just a huge marker of success for this franchise. Now you could argue that they should be aiming higher <laughs> because, because they have, you know, Edwards is max deal coming on the books, Jaden's extension coming on the books next year. So now is the time to really make some hay because you're not in the tax and you have these guys on rookie deals. But I, I will say that I think can this work long-term can this work in the playoffs and I, my answer is, I think so. And the reason why I think so is because I honestly think that Minnesota, out of all the Western Conference teams at, the, at this moment, is best suited to go up against Denver mm. in a playoff series. And I think it's because they have Towns and Gobert. Uh, and because they can defend Jokic in ways that no other team can. Uh, now, last year in the playoffs, they lost to them in five games. Um, they didn't have Nas Reed and they didn't have Jaden McDaniels in that series. They were both injured. Um, if you give, I think if the Wolves had a full roster and they've been saying this all summer and, and you know, it, it, and Denver has even said like some of the guys from Denver last year said Minnesota was our toughest opponent all, all playoffs. Uh, so it's getting kind of old to hear it around here. Mm-hmm. But they beat Denver already this regular season and they blew them out. Um, and they put Carl on Jokic and they had Rudy just kind of on Gordon kind of off the ball, kind of in the a Romer kind of role. And so what Rudy was able to do in that role, and it eliminates one of Jokic's superpowers, which is his ability to pass and find cutters for layups. Yep. If Jokic is passing the ball and these guys are running into Rudy Gobert at the rim, all of a sudden Denver's offense looks a little different. It's not as effective as, as it is against teams that just have one big guy or just kind of, you know, one guy guarding Jokic and then nobody else to really protect the rim. So they can defend Denver because of this two big formation in a way that other teams can't. And right now, Denver is the team you have to beat in the Western Conference if you're going to go far. So I, maybe, maybe it's a bad matchup for other teams. I, I don't know. We'll have to see once the playoffs roll around. But when I think about a potential second round series or, a Western Conference final series against Denver, if it if it shakes out that way, I think that they're matched up pretty well to play them. So, you know, that's that's kind of where my thoughts are at this at this point in the season. So then the follow up is like mm-hmm. Denver aside, because you're right. Like if they lose a playoff mm-hmm. series to Denver, if it's in the second round or whatever, that's yeah. there's no shame in that you lost to the defending right. champs in the second round of the playoffs a place mm-hmm. that the Timberwolves haven't been in like 20 years as you mentioned mm-hmm. um what happens if they don't make it to the second round is is this a bit of a and this is again yeah, coming it's, from it's an outsider it's from an outsider perspective in new york where and right there's the obvious connection between the knicks and carl anthony towns sure. whether it be kentucky or caa I'm not even going that direction. I just want to know what right. in Minnesota do right. they think is like the end result if this is an admitted failure? I mean, that's been, you know, a, a lot of uh, on a lot of fans' minds is, you know, with the contract situation coming up here in Minnesota, um, you know, the second apron looming over every team. 
uh, change in ownership and, you know, are they going to want to go into the tax or how far into the tax are they going to be willing to go? I guess you could say there's a lot of questions just from a numbers money perspective. And so you start looking and everybody's like, well, Carl's going to be making $50 million. And does this team really need Carl Anthony Towns? That's, that's been the question on a lot of fans' minds. And so, you know, and he would, you know, and, and coming into this season, the thought was that he could command more in a trade than Rudy Gobert could because he's a little younger, um, you know, and, and he seemed to he seems to have more just general offensive upside and scoring ability, obviously, than, than Rudy Gobert does. So that is that is kind of what people I don't want to say assume is going to be the shoe that drops if this doesn't work, um, but it's on a lot of people's minds. That's in the fan base. When you sure. speak to the the mindset of the fan base, mm-hmm. do they do they want to keep Carl Anthony Towns, or like or do they have an attack? Because I, I was I'm always right, curious right. of that. What, like, what is the what is the fan base relationship to Carl? Yeah, yeah. It's a very it's a very interesting one. Um, Carl has been very loyal to the Minnesota Timberwolves, and every time you know he's asked about you know, wanting out or this and that. He's always said, I, my goal is to be here in Minnesota and I want to build a, a, a winner here. He's, he's been steadfast in that from, from day one. Um, the fan base, I think appreciates that, but, but there is, there is this, this sense of when they, when they kind of watch him play and they see, you know, sometimes he takes himself out of a game mentally or gets into foul trouble, starts arguing with the officials. There's a, there's a little frustration there um, from, from a fan perspective, for sure. Um, and, you know, I think it's a, it's at what they want. They've often wondered at what point is he going to change? What, at what point does that stuff go away or does it just become part of who you are as a player? You know, he struggled in the playoff series a little bit. He turned it on as the, as the playoffs went on. But if you're going to be a great player, a, ma- a maximum contract player, super max player, you know, it shouldn't take three games for you to get into a playoff series. You know, like you got to be going right away. Um, that being said, you look at how he has <laughs> how he has played over the last five games here and on this road trip where they just went four and one and they do not, they do not win some of these games if he's not playing the way that he's playing right now. And, and I don't know what trade there is out there that you could get a a player like him or the, the value or the, what he brings offensively, especially kind of late in some of these games. I don't know what that deal looks like and how that's going to materially help your team um, help this and help this specific team at this moment in time. Um, it's still early kind of in this process of him and Gobert. They, this is like they're, I don't know, they haven't even played 50 games together yet. They barely played half a season together uh, because Carl was hurt for so much of last season. So it's still kind of early. And listen, if they're having success, all the trade talk goes away for now. And I think, you know, with the more success they have, I haven't spoken to owner, the, the new owners about this. Um, but if you're a successful team and they make a deep playoff run, there's going to be pressure to say, Hey, this is working. <laughs> Let's keep the band together here. No matter, you know, no matter what it costs, at least for another year or another two years and see what you got. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's so ironic that you're talking about a power forward that, like, <laughs> whose wounds seem to be self-inflicted. The fan base, like, when he's going he wears, good, we love wears, him. Wears, but when he he's his, kind of kind of wears his emotions on yeah, his sleeve. Yeah, like when good, good bad, when his head's right? on straight, we like him, right. but we, we don't always it. know if his head's really going to be good. on straight. And it looks really good. Yeah. Right? yeah. Oh boy, do we know that that it pain? Sounds, it sounds very similar. Oh man, it? yeah, I I I can relate uh, well, to, well, that, to Wolves fans. That's what yeah, that that's what was kind of. Uh, yeah, ironic about kind of just monitoring you know the playoffs last year and just seeing the Knicks fans' reaction to how Julius was playing, and it was like, yeah, this sounds, this all sounds very similar. I mean, it's New York, so it's amplified more than you know Minnesota basketball fans. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. But, but when you're here in the market, you hear it. You know, and when you when you follow the team constantly, you know that that's what that's what is on fans' minds as well. But I got to be honest, you're. You're kind of confirming something for me. And I watched I watched the Nuggets series and I'm pretty sure I've seen every every Carl Anthony Towns playoff game to this point. Yeah. And I get the same notion that you just like like the picture you just painted of how he plays. And it's like a couple games before he gets going and there'll be one game where it's wow or even like one play in a bad game where it's wow. But the Mm -hmm. overall feeling is disappointment that like oh we could have got more from him at the end of this series like the the series against memphis two years ago there were moments i thought he was going to single-handedly win it for them and then there were moments where it was very clear he's like hurting them when he's on the floor and you know i I, I, there's a notion in New York that they can upgrade to Carl Anthony Towns and i'm like i i think you're going to you're very frustrated in the same way you're frustrated <laughs> with Julius Randle from time to time, but you're going to have better spacing, you know? So I, I have no idea if that qualifies yeah. as an upgrade or even if Minnesota would look to just swap one out for the other in that sense, which kind of leads into my next question. Like, do you think it, maybe the Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns um, combo 
isn't the question. Like, mm-hmm. are they eventually going to have to decide between Anthony Edwards and who like runs the offense? Or is it actually good that they have a second high usage guy that's an elite offensive player next to Ant, who's, you know, a superstar on the rise? I, th- I think you need that. I, th- I, I do. Uh, and I obviously you saw it the other night Ant fouled out mm-hmm. of that New Orleans game and they just have Carl to turn to, to be the guy that takes the last shot. Um, listen, the more, more elite offensive guys on the floor is just going to make things easier for Anthony Edwards. If you know, I mean, just look at what happened last year. Um, Carl gets hurt for half the season, more than half the season. Their offense struggled. I mean, Ant played well. Ant had to play really well at an all-star caliber level for them to just get to the play-in, you know, when Carl wasn't out there on the floor. Defenses were able to load up against him, made it a lot more difficult for him. Um, so I think I think right now Ant and Carl being on the floor together is, is a good mix. And they've generally had pretty good offensive chemistry together uh, during their careers together. They, they work well off of each other. Um, I, it's making that all work with Rudy that has been kind of the challenge. Like Rudy is the, the third part of this. That hasn't always looked great because Ant is still very much getting acclimated to playing with Rudy Gobert, and, and that's a process in and of itself. Um, but Ant and Carl generally have had pretty good chemistry uh, you know, going back two years ago. Yeah, looking at cleaning the glass now, they're, the lineups where they're together is at 118.8 per yeah. per 100 possessions, which is it's 79th percentile. Pretty it's pretty good. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then when you add Gobert to it is when the, the defensive That's uptick happens. Yeah, um, right. The offense, the offense last year went way down. Like, well, so it, the it, offense yeah. does go down, but so yeah. does like the defense suddenly you're giving up closer <laughs> yes. to 100. Yeah. So that's a very clear change, which is obviously the Rudy Gobert impact. I guess where I'm where I was going with that question, like obviously <laughs> having Carl Anthony Towns is better than not having Carl Anthony Towns offensively. I guess the thought was more if you are committing to Gobert long term and you did decide to move Cat, right? Mm-hmm. Could you turn the keys over to Ant and more plug in place? Like the, okay. the it, it's less about like needing Julius Randle to be back because he's a high usage offensive player. You could mm-hmm. you like get Ananobi or just like ship Jaden to the four and like find other ways to fill what yeah. where Cat's usage would go. You know, I think I think one of the answers is on the roster um, in a scenario like that um, is and it's Nas Reed. Um, I think I think. People in Minnesota, you, you know, some of the prevailing thought is if they have to move on from Cat, they could get 75 to maybe 80% of what Carl gives them with Nas Reed. Um, he's obviously, he's not an all-star caliber, all-NBA level player the way Carl is, but he is a very good system fit with the way Chris Finch runs his offense. He plays it basically ideally the way that Nas Reed plays that, that offensive system. Um, and his defense has really improved, um, over the course of this season so far. So I think there's a, there's a little bit of a, of a thought of that. Like if they move, if they were to move on to Carl, you don't necessarily have to bring in another four. You might have that already in Nas Reed. So it's like, what do you, what does that trade look like? I don't know what that, tra- <laughs> I don't know what that trade looks like. I've thought about it. Um, I, I just, this is just me speaking. This is not me with, 
sources or anything. Yeah, you're not reporting. Like, you're, like, you're I'm not reporting. You're this is just me. This is just me, basketball watcher. <laughs> I don't think Julius Randall makes a lot of sense here in Minnesota. Like that, like that, like that towns for Randall thing. I don't think I don't think that makes a lot of sense from Minnesota's perspective. Quite frankly, I just don't. So, listen, <laughs> I saw the NBA highlights the other night, and yeah. <laughs> I saw uh, someone who's known to be an emotional player put Rudy Gobert in a headlock. Um, <laughs> it's going to yeah. be even crazier when it's someone on his own team if Julius Randle for Carl uh, Anthony Towns trade were to happen. Um, and, and look, like I, I'm probably one of the softer. Knicks people that um, Knicks fan people, whatever you want to call what we do here uh, on sure. Julius. Cause I, I have a soft spot for what he did during the, the we here pandemic shortened season. Mm-hmm. Um, and like not a lot of Knicks have made the all NBA team twice in a span of three years. And that's, that's an accomplishment to me. I get like his mistakes are loud, but his good is also really good and contributes to winning that this franchise hasn't done a lot of. So um, I have a soft spot for him while recognizing like there probably is a greener pasture there if they could pursue it. Whether it's Carl Anthony Towns or not is, you know, uh, I guess left up for debate. And I think the point you made that winning makes all this go away. I don't even, I'm not even asking you should the Knicks and Timberwolves make a trade. I think both teams are winning right now and it's making a lot of this transaction stuff become a summer conversation, which is what every fan base wants. All the teams that were speculative of like, oh, the the Sixers are going to what happens with Embiid? Oh, they're winning. That all goes away. (laughs) You know, the same thing for the Timberwolves as well. Um, Which last question is really about Mm -hmm. Mike Conley and the veteran presence that he has given the Timberwolves over someone like D'Angelo Russell. Have you noticed that that there's a clear like um i, I don't want to be too disrespectful to delo but it's like very clear he's better at it's, handing it's the keys to lebron it's you a know? different fit it's a different yeah fit. yeah like delo's a different type of player than mike conley and that's not it's not being disrespectful but i think mike conley is a better fit for what this roster needs than what d'angelo russell was uh, mike conley has been a kind of floor general for them. Um, he's especially helped Ant late in games get into offense, whereas Ant has tended to be ISO, dribble, 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 pull up, mm. dribble, dribble, dribble. You know, like just that was late game offense for for them. Late game offense doesn't look as much like that anymore for the Timberwolves, and it's because Mike Conley is out there taking control and directing. D'Angelo Russell, that's not, that's not kind of the, the player that he is. Um, with Ant, you need that out there because Ant is still very young and he's still kind of learning how to, how to be consistent in these big moments. Um, and now it's like, like kind of how it goes. Like if Ant starts to get too dribble heavy, too ISO heavy with five minutes, four minutes on the clock. Mike Conley comes in and he's taking control of that next possession. He's running some actions. He's calling a play. Um, and Ann has said this multiple times already this year that that's a huge difference for him. It's a huge difference for their offense in general. Just having Mike out there to take some of that pressure off of Ant in those situations and helps Ant make better decisions as a result. So that's been that's been a huge, huge thing that Mike Conley has done. And I think Mike Conley is an upgrade defensively. And, you know, you don't have to hide Mike Conley on on anybody. 
Um, and so it gives you just a more cohesive defensive unit out there when you have Mike Conley as opposed to D'Angelo Russell as well. By the way, you mentioned the way the Timberwolves operate when Nazarene mm-hmm. is in for Towns. I want to yeah. emphasize small sample size small when, sample I, when size, I say this. Yeah. But yeah. in 156 possessions so far this season, mm-hmm. it is a plus 30 with a 119.9 offensive rating which would be second in the NBA right now and an 89.8 defensive rating which would be like the like the 04 Pistons like it's <laughs> like that's how good that the, that five man unit is or just when Nas Reed yeah. is on the floor and Nas has off, a very yeah. Nas has had a couple tough games of late but Nas had a great start to the season mm-hmm. like really strong opening like six games for them um, so his numbers, I'm not surprised his numbers are great because he looked fantastic, like in the, that first half of the season so far. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm curious how these two teams match up. Mm-hmm. Obviously there's Mitchell Robinson, Gobert. One is elite and one is playing at an elite level in Mitch that mm-hmm. his, he's off to a great start. There's obviously the Kentucky connection. Yep. Um, there's the FIBA battles or not even battles the feeble teammates of Jalen Brunson Josh Hart and Anthony Edwards that are reunited and RJ Barrett the guy they lost to uh getting getting to be back on the court my last question uh before I I let you go I usually Mm -hmm. do this where I I turn the pod over to my guest to see if they have a thought or a question about the Knicks uh going into this season uh, or going into this matchup so the floor is yours Chris That's that's an interesting one. Um, I guess, you know, one of the players that's always intrigued me, I, I've always liked Mitchell Robinson's game. How does the fan base generally feel about Emmanuel quickly? Oh, man. We are. He, he is one of our own. And he they, there is okay, a. I figured. I figured. Yeah. There yeah, is a yeah. very strong attachment to yeah. IQ. And yeah. it kind of boiled over right before the season because the Knicks didn't extend him. And I think he wants, he, I mean, I don't think he has said he wants to be a starter. And Tibbs, since the moment IQ was drafted, was an advocate for putting him in the rotation, but was very like strict about he's the sixth man. And he yeah. has not escaped that. RJ Barrett's missed four games. Quentin Grimes has missed two. And all of these games, Mayo quickly has come off the bench. So he sees him as the backup point guard that can play in several lineups throughout a game with Jalen Brunson, but he's not going to start the game that way. And I think quickly sees his value as higher than what the Knicks are willing to offer him and wants to go potentially pursue restricted free agency and see if someone will throw him a bag. There is a toss up between Knicks fans that love IQ and look at some of his impact metrics and, and look at some of his am- deeper analytics that are, are like, there's a, there's a, a Jalen Brunson, Fred Van Vliet bump. If you played him at the starting point guard, um, yeah. not that. And like, there's, there's even like a, like can be better than Jalen Brunson because of what Emmanuel quickly brings you in off ball defense. Yeah. Um, I, I love Emmanuel quickly. I think it's really cool that the Knicks actually nailed one of their mid twenties draft picks that it's been decades where since they were doing anything like that, <laughs> like even mm-hmm, having a pick mm-hmm. in the first round, let alone nailing a late first round pick. Um, and I hope the Knicks are able to match whatever offer he's gets in restricted free agency this off season. Cause I think he's a really important part of why they've been so successful the last couple of years. And that's really where I stand on it. I hope that he's a Nick, for the rest of the season and then for the future. And I think a lot, there's the majority of Nick fans feel the exact same way. It, it, it's funny to hear you talk about, you know, the whole six man thing where 
Um, the year that Tib, one of the years that Tibbs was coaching uh, mm. the Wolves, the year that they had Jimmy and they were they went to the playoffs. Um, Tyus Jones was the was the backup point guard, and you could look at some of the numbers and like Jeff Teague was the starter, um, and you could look at some of the numbers and be like, they're better when Tyus mm-hmm. Jones plays, but Tyus Jones never started over Jeff Teague unless Teague was hurt. Uh, but then once Teague was healthy right back into the starting starting role it was it just you just wouldn't wouldn't budge yeah that, that, that's tips for you right that is a very <laughs> and i think with jalen brunson here it's acceptable mm-hmm. like okay he's he's not sure. starting because a borderline all-star point guard is here that right. is one of the best but offensive that, players in the sport saying like, like it's like other ways to get him in the starting lineup like oh, so you know the, other guys are out or like yeah the yeah. ironic part is last year before mm-hmm. they traded for Josh Hart before they added mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. Dante DiVincenzo this offseason yeah quick was next man up quick started 20 games last year and it arguably cost him the sixth man of the year because no one was arguing that he didn't have a better season than Marcus Smart they argued that he started 20 games they started too much like, yeah. he's, 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 too, he's, he's too many minutes right. in the starting rotations like, okay yeah. Yeah. every single like mm-hmm. smart had a, a not smart Malcolm Brogdon Malcolm Brogdon had a a more efficient year but on a much smaller volume in 20 less games and mm-hmm. quick was just like a more positive player than than brogdon was but everyone argued in their voting that quickly started, started 20 games, games. so yeah. i don't know if this is a campaign like hey you're not starting any games now you know <laughs> that we're, we're, not, we're taking that argument completely yeah, away maybe, maybe um, it is the yeah. example of jeff t that you're talking about year one yeah, here in, yeah. in new york for tibbs um mm-hmm. alfred payton started every game that alfred payton played and mm-hmm. they were awful when Alfred Payton was on the floor, but they had this elite second unit with rookie Derrick Rose, with with Derrick Rose, rookie Emmanuel Quickly, rookie Obi Toppin, um, Taj yeah. Gibson. Like he got the whole band back together from both the Timberwolves yeah, right, and right. the the Bulls, and, and yeah. he just wanted to keep that five man bench unit intact <laughs> and just kept the starters at even, you know, and the starters yeah. were like a plus point one, and then the bench would just like blitz teams when the second unit came in um and now i which is like the the weird thing where the knicks find like knicks fans i think are kind of confused at what to complain about right now (laughs) they have so many good players like they have so many good solutions to problems like rj barrett went down and it was like oh no what do we do and dante divincenzo and manuel quickly took the reins like quentin grimes sprained his hand and divincenzo hits seven threes and it's like so we have like every lineup works then Okay, great. Every lineup works. It's like Josh Hart with the starters kind of doesn't, but Josh Hart's also like does good things in other ways. And when you with him next to DiVincenzo, that lineup actually really works. So I don't know. We we're not a fan base that's used to having nothing they really to complain it. about. <laughs> and so we just like directed it's it to Julius Randle. It's, it. it's November. Give it time. Oh, Give it Chris. Time. We have we find it. We just don't have like good things to complain about. Oh, we have a competent basketball team with good basketball players. How, the, the, what do we do with opposite, ourselves? It's the opposite here in Minnesota. People are beside themselves. They're like, oh my gosh, they, the Tim Rules might actually be good. Right? Like, what? What? Yeah. What's going on? I'll take here? it. I'll take it. Yes. <laughs> I'll, I, no, nobody touch anything. This might, right, this might exactly. be good. <laughs> don't do anything different. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Chris, mm-hmm. thank you so much for joining me to preview this game. Um, I am curious. Uh, how these two teams match up. Um, Knicks, are, Knicks are coming to the end of a road trip. The Wolves obviously coming back home at the end of one. So we'll see 
Um, if some tired legs from travel um, play, a, play a factor in this, yeah. but I, I expect a game in the low 100s between the I, third I and the expect, fifth best ex- defenses in the league. I'm expecting a rock fight as well. It's, yes. Uh, I don't think we're going to see a lot of offense tomorrow night. So <laughs> before you get out of here again, happy yes. birthday mm-hmm. on behalf of the Thank entire Knicks film school audience and plug what you'd like to plug. Yeah, just uh, if you're ever interested in the Timberwolves, uh, startribune.com uh, is, is where you can find us. Uh, subscribe to us, throw you know local journalism a, a couple of your dollars if, if, if you so choose. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Christopher Hine. You can see my pop music and television takes as well. I'm sure that that'll excite people to hit that follow button uh, in addition to all the basketball stuff I do as well. So, yeah. Last question on behalf of New York. Um, yes. Have you met A-Rod yet? Yes. Yes, I have. Okay. Yeah. I've and... interviewed him a few times. Yeah. Oh, so I don't yeah. want to get you in trouble, but what's he like? I mean, it's very professional. Like okay. The times I've met him, it's it, it's been very, you know, journalist kind of source kind of interactions. And, and so it's been nothing but, but cordial and professional for sure. You know, the love-hate relationship I mentioned New York to New York athlete? Mm-hmm. A-Rod yes. personified that where it was like, <laughs> you're very clearly one of the best in the sport. We hate you for the very small sample size. Also, you're not Derek Jeter. That's the biggest reason that people yeah, hate you. Yeah, you're not well, Derek Jeter. I mean, I personally grew up a Yankees fan, so I, I am familiar. You with, get it then. I'm, okay. I'm familiar with some of that. Yeah. You just, okay. I, I'm sorry, birthday boy. Up, you're staying up, on. I, I have up, to ask a question. I, I grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Okay. So I, I grew up a Yankees fan. So uh, I, have, yeah. I have one more follow up question. What's yeah, it like as a guy grew up a Yankee fan <laughs> that the team you cover is owned, owned by A-Rod. <laughs> it's a Rod? It's it's surreal. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's a surreal. I'm not gonna lie. I'll I'll say this though, and just to give you a couple, a quick little story about being a sports writer. One of the things that happens in sports writing is it's very weird. It takes the fandom out of you mm-hmm. because you can't be a fan, right? You have to be objective. You have to cover people in an objective way. And if they do stuff that's bad or whatever, like you have to be able to write about them in an honest, fair, objective way. So it kind of, because of the nature of the job, it takes the fan out of you. Um, you know, so it, 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 by this point in my life, I, I've, I don't really root for too many teams anymore um, because of that, because I've just, I've covered different sports and, and each time I do, it kind of just zaps the fandom. Like I used to, I used to go to, I went to Notre Dame for college and I'm not really a huge Notre Dame football fan anymore. I covered them professionally as a journalist in Chicago when I was there. Mm. Um, you know, kind of the, the same goes for like the NBA. I don't have a favorite NBA team. Um, I will say though, one of the surreal things that happened was when I was an intern, I did get to interview both Joe Torrey and Derek Jeter. Um, you know, kind of during my, during my internship, that was a kind of like a pinch me, mm. wake me up from this dream kind of, kind of moment for I, sure. When I, when I was first starting out, absolutely. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. Howard Beck a couple of years ago, I, I, I interviewed him mm-hmm. in, in a similar vein of what, when did the fandom go away? And yeah. he grew up like, Howard Beck grew up in Northern California, a fan of the 49ers, just just like mm-hmm. yourself. We were talking before. He's yeah, yeah. Chris is a 49ers. I'm a, I'm a Niners fan. He's a Niners yeah, fan yeah, yeah. who with a competent offense. Wish I knew what that was like. <laughs> um and Howard said he got to meet Joe Montana like a decade into his career. And the all of the the, the feelings and the euphoria just like disappeared. And it was like one of the moments that 
it was like I, I would have thought meeting Joe Montana would have been a moment, been a bigger deal. And I clearly, yeah. I clearly remember it, but I, and it clearly did mean something. But Howard was like, "Man, yeah. like this would have been so much cooler ten years ago." But instead, it's just you know, <laughs> I inner feel that journalist subject. You I know, feel that. Yeah. I feel that. I feel that a lot. Like, yeah, that 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 definitely is a thing that happens, and it's hard to explain. But it's the job just kind of beats it out of you yeah. in a way. Like it's, but it's still fun. Like this job is very fun. And I, I so fortunate I get to do this for a living. Um, and I love that, but that is maybe one of the little, the small little sacrifices that ends up happening to, yeah. to do this job. A well worth it sacrifice. And yeah. I appreciate you sacrificing time on your birthday <laughs> to come talk about this game. Chris, you're welcome back anytime. No Thank problem. you for coming on. That'd be great. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate it. Once again, a big thank you and a happy birthday to Chris Hine. Thank you for coming on the pregame pod. Um, I sincerely, I don't think anybody's ever done that, and I, I'm greatly appreciative. Uh, I, I though, know what you could do. Uh, the link to the Star Ledger and like his most recent articles is in the description of this episode. If you want to. Uh, please take care of him like support local journalism support chris the man spent his birthday with me to preview this matchup so um if there was a pod obviously i'd say go give the the kfs bump um some type of support if you can um i greatly appreciate it it's like it's like legitimately touching that he spent his birthday uh with me talking on Streamyard and previewing this podcast it was a good conversation and little did i know i was talking to a yankee fan the whole time but um you know, thank you again to Chris for coming on. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, that'll do it for me. If you dig the show, head over to iTunes, drop a five-star rating and a review. I will be back Friday morning after Thanksgiving. We will have a pregame pod for Nick's Heat. You know who is making his return to the Knicks Film School pregame show, Giancarlo Navas of the Miami Heat Beat. And I will be reconnecting over the next couple of days to talk about yet another matchup between our two franchises. But until then, thank you for listening. Enjoy the game tonight. Let's go, Knicks. A happy Thanksgiving to all of you here in the States. And I'll speak with you soon. Peace. <laughs>